Welcome again to Peer Solutions Tip Family Podcast. My name is Jennifer Rahaus with Peer Solutions and I'm here with Ia Offo. And we are here today to talk about how to prevent child abuse before it begins. And our topic today is trauma-informed resilience. Before we get started, I just want to give a shout out to the Arizona Child Abuse Prevention's License Plate Program through the Arizona Governor's Office. Please get your child abuse prevention license plates today. Okay, Ia, let's jump right in. Last time we talked about managing our stress hormones. And today we're going to talk about how do we manage them and then turn that into kind of resilience and what that looks like. And a new concept that's kind of forming is this trauma-informed resilience. So tell me what (laughs) trauma-informed resilience means. If we look at being resilient from a salutogenic model, meaning that we don't look at people as broken we look at people as whole and resilient. We are then moving forward with how do I build upon what this person already has? How do I help them to be resilient? Not how do I fix them? How do I correct what's wrong with them? How do I see all the things that are wrong with them and label them? and then go about fixing them, we look at this person needs to change certain behaviors in their life in order to create the life that they want to have for themselves. Not the vision that I have, the vision that they have for themselves. So they need to you know, alter the way they react to things, alter behaviors, maybe work through substance abuse, whatever it is, They need to work through these things in order to have the life that they want to have for themselves. While I believe, yes, that there are certain things that you must respect about the family and about the culture, people have to have their own vision for themselves. So the first step in helping somebody to be resilient is helping them to establish what life they're looking for. What is it that that they want? And when we establish what it is that they want, then we move forward in how to build them up in order to have the things that they want in their life. When we look, when we start to talk about being trauma informed, even before we get to the resilience piece, we talk about the six guiding principles to a trauma informed approach, right? So from the CDC's perspective, We need safety. We need trustworthiness and transparency, peer support, collaborative mutuality, empowerment voice and choice, cultural, historical, and gender issues. So these are some of the ways um, that we are trauma-informed. Adopting a trauma-informed approach is not accomplished through single particular technique or checklist. But it really requires constant attention, caring, awareness, sensitivity, and possibly a cultural change within society, within an organization, within a community, within a home, so forth and so on. So to be trauma-informed, for for the approach to be trauma-informed, it has to start with, with some level of safety. And with resilience, 
It has to be individual. And then we have to look at the individual and look at their skills, look at their talent, look at their situation. How do we help them be resilient in any particular situation? An example is coming to my mind right before or when we were on break with our um, podcast recording. I talked with one of my little clients um, who is a, a little guy that has some brothers. He comes from a trauma background and the trauma always comes through with how he interacts with his brothers. But he is the oldest brother and he has two little brothers. So if I'm going to look at trauma-informed resilience with him, I'm looking at the fact that he's the older brother, we're in a family environment, and we need to work on family relationships, we need to work on um, overall the whole family getting along, we need to work on relationship between brothers. So my first thing is, here's older brother. We can make being older brother very special. We can make every birth order position very special, right? Right. So if we look at older brother, well, big brother, you've got the responsibility of being big brother. Wow, you know, you're first born in the family and it's very special to be the big brother. So you've got stuff you got to do as big brother. Well, now he has pride. Mm -hmm. And this is a child who has very difficult behaviors. But empowering him, building him up as big brother is giving him resilience because he feels um, important, because he's going to have a sense of responsibility. And if we groom him to have a sense of responsibility for his brothers and for the people in his home, he's going to go out in the community and also have that resilience, right? And so then we start changing community. He expresses that there's He's having poor interaction with his brothers because they're fighting over the TV and who gets to watch what on TV. Yeah, that's hard, but so you're the big brother. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get a piece of paper and I want you to figure out, write down all the TV shows that are very important for you to watch and what time they come on. Now he's 10, by the way. <laughs> the next brother is nine. The next brother under that is seven. And then I want you to go to your other brother and... and Write down all the TV shows that are important to him the time they come on. Go to the baby brother, all the TV shows and the time they come on. And now you create a schedule of when each brother gets to watch their show. show. What are we doing? Well, we're helping him to build resilience that is specific to who he is, specific to his position in the family, and helps him to build responsibility and is going to create a system that maybe the kids can stop arguing over the TV and maybe they can start to have some unity. And then we're building resilience in everybody. You, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And resilience re even within the family. I think that example is really clear to the salutogenic model, yes. which is you treat him as a whole person. So instead of looking at this child that has these major behavior problems um, for all the wrong and right reasons, you understand right. it. But you're saying, look, here's this kid that can thrive in, if you're in the right circumstance. And yes. you know kids fighting over TV can get bloody. Right. And so you yes. got to solve it by putting, but by putting him in charge, but with that trauma-informed lens. I listened to you talk to him on the phone for a second mm -hmm. I wasn't overhearing yeah, but I walked yeah. in and and you created the most safe 
honest. I heard you talk to him. You were talking to him like you talked to me. You weren't like yeah. belittling him. or and, and I wouldn't have guessed he was 10, but that was mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. And you made it safe, which is a key to trauma-informed. You, he trusted you. I could tell by the way he was interacting. Mm-hmm. You were transparent. You're like, look, you got to do this. You were also coming at it as, when you talk about peer support, not only with him, but then you're teaching him how to work with his peers and his siblings, how to work together. And there goes that collaboration. Then you're empowering this kid with all these ridiculous, like you're in charge, dude. You take this at 10 years old. And then you're also meeting him where he's at in his family. And that kind of thing at 10 years old, you're you're talking about a perfect example of a trauma-informed approach using all the things. I really like where the CDC is going with this. This is pretty new research. But to add that cultural lens made me really happy. Okay, obviously you're clearly trauma-informed. You're a trauma-informed parent. You know, some people spend, you know, a lot of time and a lot of money becoming trauma-informed. And I kind of have this feeling like everyone... You know, everyone that's human can be trauma-informed. How do you become trauma-informed? We've got this, you know, CDC model, which is pretty. But in reality, you know, I want everyone, I want trauma-informed to be a way of life. So how do you make that so? If we go back to a way of thinking that values human beings and values relationships, then you're trauma-informed. You take the time that you need to take to interact with somebody to give them what they need. That's trauma-informed. You take the time to see somebody. That's being trauma-informed. You're not just, you know, have a cookie-cutter answer for everything. You're looking at somebody to see their individuality. That's being trauma-informed. And I think you said it. What do we say? Culturally responsive or culturally appropriate, Mm -hmm. culturally relevant is being trauma-informed. It's really easy and it is common sense. So it's yes. not this complicated. No. I love the salutogenic model because the more you explain it, the more I'm falling in love with it. Is it takes the judgment out. Yes. And it says, I'm going to meet you where you're at. We're going to figure it out and we're going to move forward. And I, I just think that's trauma-informed in a minute. So yes. let's get specific. Trauma-informed parenting. What does that look like? You know, trauma-informed parenting is is a very interesting place because so many of us have our own trauma and so many of us are parenting with trauma in our background. Trauma-informed parenting doesn't mean that you're perfect and it doesn't mean that you never yell or it doesn't mean that you never make a mistake. It doesn't mean that you never miss the boat. It means that you're staying connected to who you really are and behaviors that you exhibit and where you are you know it's being really self-reflective it's like i just had an interaction was that you know a good interaction with the kid was it not where was my mistake in that interaction and then going back and saying hey you know what man, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have talked to you like that. I'm really sorry. You know what? That probably wasn't good. Or I think I didn't realize that you felt that way. So what is it that we can do to correct it, to Mm -hmm. fix it? Do you know, what do you need? Like a pound of flesh, you know, you know, you know, blood, like, you know, you know, what do you need? Because I thought, right. You know, and even sometimes, Man, I thought, let me tell you what I thought I was doing. 
So when I did this, right. this was what was in my mind. And I thought that I was doing this or this. But man, I don't, I guess it really didn't work now, did it? Or hindsight, mm, maybe that logic was faulty. Man, I'm sorry that, you know, my intention was to do this. I believe that that is one of the most powerful things um, that you can do for any human being is to stop for a minute and say, hey, I'm sorry. Hey, I misunderstood you. Hey, I don't think I heard you correctly. I don't think I paid enough attention. People don't really don't want you to be perfect. People just uh -uh. want you to acknowledge them and how they feel or the mistake you made. And even if it has to be them that tells you it. Well, I don't know what I did in this moment. You know, like, how did I hurt you? I mean, no, I really want to know what is it that got you so upset? And then if you can sit and listen, oh, yeah, I get that. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm not saying that you don't hold a boundary because it's important to hold a boundary with a child. You know, if like you, you do with your friends, like you, like you do with everyone else, you know, yes, you, you have to have a boundary. Uh, the easiest thing for me as a mother would be to just go along with what my kid wants. Like that's easiest for all of us, isn't it? Like it's much easier to let <gasps> him have what he wants and give the uh -huh. thing and do this and that. It's easier, everyone, and it makes all of us happy. We're all smiling in that moment, but the child doesn't learn what the child needs to learn. So we've got to hold the boundary, which is why I learned to stop giving consequences in the moment. So I don't announce a consequence in the moment because I already know that my mouth is going to say something that I really can't back up mm -hmm. because I'm upset in that moment. Right. So, you know, I have to walk away and then come back and say what the consequence is and then hold the that consequence. Now let's talk more about resilience. You've got it. You've got the trauma informed laid out. The one thing I guess before we get into resilience that that was really that really stuck with me is the communication. Mm -hmm. Is and, and at Peer Solutions we have the three C's: communicate, communicate, communicate. And it sounds like being trauma informed has to involve communication with your kid and yourself and and all that. And then also honesty. The honesty. So often I think. We're taught, and I grew up, you know, you don't tell your kids the truth, you don't, you're not honest with your feelings, you don't talk about what's really going on, and you're, you know, I'm already sorry thing, is the honesty of saying, you know, I'm human and I'm going to make mistakes, and there isn't a parent I know now, being 57 years old, seeing multiple parents in my lifetime, that doesn't feel bad about a screw-up now and again, so we're, we're so, so human, and letting kids know that, because we're all going to make mistakes, and, and learning that in the family, which is family is everything. I think we've nailed that pretty well. But then how do we become resilient within our own trauma, current, past? And then what does resilience really look like? And how can we put that into daily practice? Okay. We're going to start with children have to experience discomfort as small children. We believe that we are supposed to protect our children from being uncomfortable at all times. And children have to experience a certain level of discomfort, even from when they're young. So if we have the child that is two and strong-willed, wants what they want, 
and they're going to cry and throw themselves all over the floor and do all the things if they don't get it. If it's not something appropriate for the child to have, we have to withhold it and say, I'm sorry, you cannot have it. And yes, it's going to be painful and I'm so sorry you can't have it. I'm sad that you're sad and I, I you know, sympathize with the fact that you're sad, but you really can't have it. <laughs> Scissors will kill you. Right. You know, right. Because from that moment, you're teaching the child that I ha there's something that I want. The parent is saying I cannot have it. This feels horrible and awful and I really want it. And then at some point they recover. So you're giving them the neural pathway. You're giving them the experience of I have discomfort, but discomfort dissipates. And I survive and move on. So the beginning of resilience really is allowing discomfort. Not talking about neglect, you know, so I I mean, I don't want to insult anybody <laughs> by saying it, but you know, you always have to give these little, you know so disclaimers, you disclaimers, yeah. you really do. Yeah. So we're not talking about let the child suffer and, and, and you know and be a without food and water for a day. Right, right. You know, lock it up somewhere. Right. No, we're not talking about that, you know. <laughs> Um, there's going to be, you know, in, in life, you know, there's natural consequences for doing things, you know, um, if you tell the child not to climb on something, right, you're repeatedly saying, you don't climb on this, don't climb on this, don't climb on this, don't climb on this, don't climb on this. And the child climbs on it and falls down. We bandage the hurt. We meet the need. We do the thing that the child needs in that moment, depending on what age the child is. And then we come back and we say, you see, that's why. Remember I kept saying, don't climb on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because this is what happens when you climb on that. Mm -hmm. So we have to experience discomfort, overcome discomfort, and know that life goes on after discomfort in order to cultivate resilience. I think that's brilliant. I love the, they will recover. And if I want to build resilience, you got to start with your children and as they age, cause they gotta be resilient to a lot of things. Just cause they can't have the scissors. There's gonna be a lot of things in life. Right. A little more intense to, than, you than know. not having the scissors. Right. And, and they have mm -hmm. to develop the practice of, this was uncomfortable, this hurt, and I overcame it. Mm -hmm. I don't get what I want all the time. So what mm -hmm. happens when the kid you know, tries out for the basketball team and doesn't make, you know, a, a great example. We moved from uh, L.A. to Arizona. One of my kids was, I guess, seventh grade at the time. He was Mr. Basketball in L.A. He was always, you know, ran the ball. We came to Arizona, a coach, in, and he was small. A coach in Arizona was very concerned about height for his team. And so even though the boy could run the ball, even though he always played point from the time he was a little one, he tried out for that team and he did not make the team because he was too small. Oh. So what do I do now? If he doesn't have resilience, he's ready to throw You're himself right. off a building. You're right. His life is over. It's over. But what did he do? You're not going to be able to play basketball. There's wrestling. And in wrestling, it's this weight against this weight. This size and weight doesn't matter in wrestling. Can you shift and pivot and do wrestling like you did basketball? You can, you know, work yourself to death learning how to wrestle real well. So that year he wrestled. 
you know, in 10th grade, he ended up going to state, for, you know, wrestling championship because he started to wrestle. So that's, you know, resilience because he had experienced discomfort before. He had experienced not winning. Resilience is just the ability to recover yes. from this stuff. And, and we're really doing a good job, um, I think, teaching our kids how to do that. Um, we know with resilience, it takes one adult. We've always heard it yes. says one significant adult yes. caregiver. But children who have multiple, multiple challenges face even more adversity. Yes. How do you become resilient when you hear stack the scale? When um, So if we can't start in resilience or we have a situation that's, you know, extreme, right? Mm -hmm. And we need to overcome it. One of the most important ways that we build resilience is through love and through supportive relationships. That's step one. Love. So, you know, that's that's there. There has to be a supportive adult-child relationship, building a sense of self-efficacy and perceived control. You, again, from a salutogenic point of view, you can flip any situation to empower you, right? To, or totally true. To empower the child. Any situation, you, you just have to reframe things. When you reframe something, you're able to put the control back in your court. For instance, um, I can only control me and what I do. If I have a particular responsibility, I can't control after I do, the, do whatever the task is. I don't have control over the outcome of that task. My job is to do my part. What happens after I do my part, I don't have control over. Um, mobilizing sources of faith, hope, and cultural traditions. And this is my favorite because I believe that, yes, because I'm a culture person, but you know, I believe that uh, many people of color who have been impacted by colonization or genocide, slavery, so forth and so on, were stripped of our cultural identity and exactly. didn't have access to our faith and didn't have access to cultural traditions to help us have resilience. So all of these things, you know, work. In social work, they'll say connecting people to natural um, resources in the community, right? So can I work with, if somebody is Christian, can I work with the church? I had a great young lady that was Jewish. Excellent. I'm going to call uh, Emmanuel, you know, the, the synagogue in Tempe and find out, hey, what resources do we have over here? What what's happening exactly. there? What of what classes you do you have? What this, what that? To try to connect her with with some of those resources that will help her to become resilient. We need more culturally specific services yes. because to understand that historical trauma pre birth, but also current and the history and you know the fourteen generations you, I, I just completely believe you have to have, you have to have someone from this background that understands it. It's 101. I'm not that person. I can help find you that person and, and I can support it. But so often when we talk about services and resilience, which is survival, which is building communities back, which is healing, 
always miss culturally specific services. Yes. And finally, we have a coalition called Doves, which is coming out now to deal with some of this domestic violence and child abuse mm -hmm. and, and the long-term pre-birth impact mm -hmm. that's culturally specific in Arizona. How exciting is it is now that we can actually learn from other cultures, we can embrace all cultures, not other, all cultures, and really start embracing what works and what doesn't, and that's resilience. So then you look at resilient strategies like you just talked about, where you build that relationship, but then you also build the self-efficacy. You build the you're in control of your life. You look at that individual layer, you take that, you bring in what are the skills, and, and I think of even in a child with a traumatic brain injury, which is super related to resilience, you give self-efficacy. What can you do? Let's focus on that. And then you provide these opportunities and then you bring it to the heart and you bring in the heart and the soul and the culture and the positive mm -hmm. healing and salutogenic things. Then these children's are creating children's. I mean, your kids' kids. That's how we create change. And what I love is that it's for every age. But the Harvard School, you know, you and I have talked about the developing child at the Harvard School yes. um, Public Health, and they are amazing. And we will put really, really um, cool um, kind of resources up on our website to answer that. So we're still talking about trauma-informed parenting, or resilience. And when you look at trauma-informed resilient parenting, Tell me some of your proudest moments. Where have you seen, you know, where you've given this resilience and it's so your lens and you've given us really good examples, but I have a feeling you might have some really cool. And then tell me some times of things that maybe didn't work because okay. I love the practical application for people maybe that are listening and myself yes. included. Um, one of my proudest moments because it was one of my hardest moments that um, was just steeped in guilt and feeling bad and so forth was uh, my youngest son and I living in India. He is in second grade, new environment, new culture, new, we were living in a very, a very austere uh, monastic lifestyle. So everything is totally new and different. I mean, the food he's eating is different. Everything's different. He gets on the bus to go to school and he experiences that, like I was telling you before, the situation on the bus where there's a lot of hazing going on because he's different. There's a lot of older kids not allowing younger kids to sit in the, in the seats on the bus. There's all this chaos going on on the bus. And every day he would get home and get off the bus and cry and say, Mommy, can't you please take me to school in a rickshaw? And instead of having to ride on the bus. And I would say, no, I can't because we need to figure out how do we manage the situation on the bus. And for the first week, at least, I cried every day that I put him on the bus. Uh -huh. I literally cried. I, I would go back. Mm -hmm. to our flat and I would cry because I felt so badly for him mm -hmm. but every day we worked on another way that we could manage the situation were there specific kids that were a problem maybe we could talk to them maybe we could talk to some of the holy men in the community 
about particular kids or particular things and maybe they could have communication with those students. Maybe you could express how you're feeling. There were just one thing after another that we had to do in order to make the situation on that bus acceptable for him to ride to school. Mm -hmm. And we did. Um, he remembers that as a very hard time in his life, mm -hmm. but it made him resilient. You yes, know, it did. he wasn't in danger. It was uncomfortable. It didn't feel nice. It hurt. Not only, you know, am I riding the bus, but my breakfast was some food that I don't normally eat. And it's, it's spicy because I live in India now and, you know, I'm overcoming all of these things, but it created a resilience in this child that was necessary for other things in life. Literal survival. Literal survival. I mean, you're talking about survival. Yes. And I just think, I'm, I can't wait, like any challenge he gets yes. because of that experience. The easiest thing to do would have been to take him in the rickshaw. It wasn't expensive. It's easy. The rickshaws were there and available. I could have easily taken him in a rickshaw every morning or hired a driver to take him in a rickshaw every morning. But he would not have experienced the culture, which is what was important for me. And he would not have been able to cultivate resilience in times of adversity. One of the things is that if we groom our children not to have to ever be uncomfortable, when there are times in life that come up later on that are going to be uncomfortable, they cannot manage it. So they must find a substance, another at-risk behavior, something to cope with discomfort. And resilience is complete prevention. Right. So you're addressing it, but you're literally preventing the horror before it begins. You, you have to match your interventions to the child. People have this false idea that you treat children equally. You don't oh. treat children equally. You treat them with equity. You're right. Yeah. And every kid is different. And when we talk about the, the trauma-informed resilience, that's every kid is a different story. Yes. And we know this is true because every person is different. And that's, that's why right. this canned stuff doesn't work. You've got to make it internal and start yes. with thyself and, and connect. Yes. But that is going back to the humanness and then bringing us all together. And I, I really like it. And um, I appreciate it. Remember... Uh, we have a resource for all of you from Child Help, 24-hour hotline, number is 1-800-422-4453, all ages, languages, licensed therapist, Child Help is a wonderful resource, you don't have to be going through anything right now, if you need to talk to somebody, call them up, they can direct you, you can also look on our website. Yeah, thank you. I really, really love trauma-informed resilience. I'm really excited to take everything we've learned up to this point and visualize uh, how do we set up uh, a goal setting, that, but that's realistic, and, and a path to surviving and thriving through, through all of this. So once again, thank you to the Arizona Child Abuse License Plate Program through the Arizona Governor's Office. Thank you, Ian.